Hello, and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Community Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I am Kikita Kaori. And we have a special guest today, which is always our favorite, Marie Brennan. We are going to be talking today with Marie about her new book, which is Game of 100 Candles. And we're going to be talking about Yumi Do. So welcome, Marie. Glad to be here again. <laughs> but first, we got some news, right? We're, yep, we're going to kick off with some news. There are some Legend of the Five Rings events happening at Gen Con. Actually, quite a few, which is pleasing. More than I thought that there would be, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm especially glad to see Heroes of Rock again. They've got a new season, which um, I was not expecting because I, I kind of always associate them with stuff that in the past, but now they're they're doing a new season, which I think is really cool. So they're they're like a huge kind of is it? I'm not quite sure it's a living campaign, but it's 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 a thing everybody can kind of contribute to and a series of adventures. Right. So so they are doing their living campaign. They are doing it with uh, fifth edition uh, Elfavar. So they have made that shift out of the previous AEG editions into FFG and a whole new, starting from scratch, whole new empire. So if you ever wanted to get into Heroes of Rokugan from the beginning, this is the year to do it. Yeah. So starting that new season, there's going to be a battle interactive and live action role play, which has always been a feature of the Heroes of Rock Gun. So if you're going to go to Gen Con, then that sounds like a fantastic thing to get involved in. Mm-hmm. And we have a couple of different uh, or, uh, organizations, I guess, um, doing independent uh, L5R campaigns. Yeah, one group is Tabletop Gamers, which is a uh, RPG group focusing on the LGBT community, and they've kind of uh, have made a role-playing game that they are working on in L5R called uh, The Emperor's Do, uh, learning 5th edition in kind of a, a very welcoming, open sort of environment. And then uh, Edge Studio actually has a bunch of uh, games that they're running. Uh, they have uh, a campaign called the, or a game called The Lost Writer, which is in fifth edition. And they have a game called Storm Eel's Rest, which is in Adventures in Rokugan. So uh, there are those out there for you. And there's an L5R card game tournament uh, for people who are interested. So that was a lot more events than I expected. Yeah. So uh, if you're going to go to Gen Con, uh, we would love to hear what how what your experiences were, mm-hmm. and uh, if you hadn't, if you weren't weren't sure if you're going, maybe this is going to <laughs> push you over the edge, as it were, and send you off. But that's a lot of news. So now we get to talk to Marie again. So we have interviewed you before uh, when Night Parade of Hundred Demons came out, and. Followed the adventures of Agashiria Tora and Asako Sekin, I hope I'm saying those right, uh, and investigating the dragon village of Sebomura. And uh, we used a lot of your ideas for our Chixido episode not too long ago. <laughs> mm. So, uh, I'm glad to hear yeah, it. <laughs> it was great. We enjoyed that. And we also enjoyed, especially now that I finally got to read it all, uh, Game of 100 Candles, which is like 
continuing the adventures of those two heroes. Yep. <laughs> yep. For anyone who's new to the podcast and possibly new to the book series and and and, new, and doesn't know you very well, do you want to give a quick introduction to yourself, uh, especially as it comes to Alpha Um I've been writing fantasy novels and short fiction for horrifyingly at this point, I could say decades, basically. Uh, <laughs> like, I think my first short story came out nearly 20 years ago. Um, most well known for the Memoirs of Lady Trent series. Uh, first book is A Natural History of Dragons. But I've also been collaborating with my friend Alice Helms under the name M.A. Carrick. And we're writing the Rook and Rose epic fantasy uh, trilogy. Last book of that will be out in August. But uh, I've been a fan of Legend of the Five Rings ever since a friend said, like, hey, you want to play in my tabletop game? And I said, sure. And shortly after that, I was writing for the game, which tells you how fast I fell. <laughs> Can you give us sort of a summary of your new book? Uh, anything you want to say about it for Game of 100 Candles? Sure. Um, it's always a little tricky with this sort of thing because, you know, spoilers for the first book in the series. Just, you know, broadly speaking, um, you know, the first book takes place in this rural village in Dragonlands. And so for the second book, I drag my characters to Winter Court in Phoenix Lands instead. So a very different venue for them. And in particular, uh, you know, that's where Seken is from. He's used to it. But Yotora is completely fish out of water, kind of as Seken was in the rural village. Uh, that might have been on purpose on my part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, Yotora is there specifically to negotiate with the Phoenix about what's going to happen with Seibomura as a result of uh, the events in the first book. But that's kind of the reason that he's there. It's not really the, the plot, which is that strange things began happening at Winter Court. Specifically, people began falling asleep and being found in really odd places asleep and not waking up. And so the two of them have to investigate what's going on. So what is the game of 100 candles in historical Japan. We know that the Night Parade of 100 Demons was a theme that came up. What's the, what's the game of 100 candles? So the the tradition that this comes from in Japanese history and like folklore and such is actually called the Hyakumonogatari Kaidankai, which is a gathering of 100 supernatural tales. It's not actually called the game of 100 candles. Uh, that's L5R's name for it. I will admit, you know, as a novelist, I was like, Game of 100 Candles makes a better title for the novel. So yeah. I'm glad with there their being a, an L5R specific name. But I do put a little shout out to the Japanese tradition in the novel um, where I have Yotora. Somebody brings up the Game of 100 Candles and he's like, oh, we have that in Dragonlands, too. But we call it a gathering of 100 supernatural tales because I wanted to mm. nod toward its like real world name. Um but it's a storytelling kind of game where there's there's some variance on how exactly it gets set up and played. But the gist of it is that you've got basically two rooms <clears throat> that are adjoined, uh, one of which is where people are sitting and telling these supernatural stories, kaidan, which are, um, you know, just kind of uh, creepy, like some of them are kind of folk tales or urban legends kinds of things. Um, and then the other room, you've got 100 candles lit. And each person, as they have told a story, they get up, they go into that other room and they blow out one of the candles. And there might be a mirror there that you look into after you've done that. And then you go back and another person tells a story. Uh, and the idea is that as the candles get blown out and as the light gets dimmer and dimmer, that you're drawing closer to the world of spirit and, and who knows what might happen. 
you'll get things that talk about, oh, this was a test of courage for the samurai, but also it was really popular among like townspeople, like ordinary commoners, um, yeah, the richer sort of ordinary commoners, um, because like in the Edo period, it was a very literate culture. Uh, they they had all kinds of books being published and collections of kaidan and so forth. So this was a, a game that people would play in Edo in Tokyo, uh, like during the uh, during the Tokugawa period. Um, and so, yeah, it was something where that got brought into L5R as the game of 100 candles. And, well, you know, having established a pattern for or rather having the opportunity to continue a pattern for titling, because <laughs> I like it when you can look at books and go, ah, clearly that is another one in this series mm. without it being right, too right. repetitive. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this gave me a good way to have people go, oh, that's probably related to the first book. That makes sense. So it's, it's kind of like watching a Twilight Zone marathon. Yeah, well, and one of the things that happened while I was writing the book was I did the math on how long these gatherings must have been. Because even if the stories are short, a hundred stories is hours of sitting there. <laughs> so yeah, very much a marathon. <laughs> oh, I mean, but I mean, storytelling in a in a world before you know TikTok. Yeah, exactly. When we still had attention spans. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, it, it was it was much more of an established art, and it was and people knew how to do it as well as yeah. how to be patient enough to listen. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I would hate to be the one who was terrible at telling stories. <laughs> I have a bit of a note of that in the gathering that it's like, yeah, some of the people are better storytellers than mm. others. Oh, and also, like, if there's like five of you or something. Yeah, it's like twenty stories each. Oh my lord! Yeah, I, I made it a smaller group. I didn't have a hundred people there because I think they were rarely going to be a hundred yeah. people. Like that's a lot to put in a room together. I, I, uh, so every yeah. person is telling several. I also I also don't know whether it was literally how often it would be literally a hundred candles. That's a lot right. in in right. In, 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 <laughs> in a pre-industrial culture. A hundred candles. Yeah. yeah. Which is why this was something done more by you know kind of richer people rather than the poor. But. Mm, mm. But yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it is a fantastic hook. I really enjoyed the book, by the way, and and uh, thank you, and, and all Absolutely. the stuff we learned. So, uh, it, it, yeah, <laughs> great book. What kind of themes were you trying to get across, carry across in Game of a Hundred Candles? Yeah, about the world, about your characters. So I'm. Yeah, I'm generally not an author who kind of goes at things theme first. Uh, not to say that there aren't themes that come out of my books, but usually for me, if I kind of have that in mind at the start, then I wind up writing something very preachy uh, as opposed mm. to just writing a cool story and then looking back at it and going, OK, what do I have here and how can I work with that? There, There is a bit of an exception this time, though, because um, – and again, this is me sort of dancing around the edge of spoilers um, – because of the way things go at the end of a night, pa night parade of 100 demons, um, I knew going into this book that I was going to be dealing with some ideas around disability for both Gotora and Seken, uh, that there are consequences to what they did in the first book. And so that was something that I did have to think about from the start rather than just, you know, winging it and then revising later, because there's a lot of discussion these days around the representation of disability in fiction and, you know, what's good, what's bad. So I certainly did talk to uh, various people about that. Uh, a friend of mine, Effie Seiberg, was uh, kind enough to let me read what she has so far of a draft of a mm -hmm. book on the subject uh, so that I could kind of have those thoughts in mind around how was I presenting the situation for my two characters? 
Um, so that is one where I did have to think about it more beforehand than I normally tend to do. So, so it sounds like more you just kind of like, here's the situation, here's some characters, <laughs> throw them in, see what happens. Yeah. I'm I'm more usually on the discovery end of writing that it's, you know, I just say, who here's a cool idea. Let's see where it goes. <laughs> mm, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. This does sound like for me, you may have had to like, uh, like, like you say, yeah, a bit front, more front loaded. Yeah. I mean, with in general, with these books, I do have to turn in a synopsis of the book before I write it uh, because they want to run it through canon approval, basically, and make sure that yeah. my ideas aren't yeah. going to be an issue. Um, so I do have to plan more in general with these books, but that's more on the level of plot stuff rather than like, what message am I trying to send? So what themes do you th- feel kind of came out? Um, so there's the disability thing, but then because of you, Mado, and, and I'm sure we'll get to this some later, um, you know, there's a, kind of the, the question of what life do people want for themselves? Like, what are their dreams? Uh, mm. And you get to see that some toward the end of the book as uh, as you, Mado, comes more to the forefront. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting thing to talk about with Samurai and L5R because of this idea that you're you're supposed to be freeing yourself from your desires. This is a very Buddhist uh, sort of mentality. And that uh, you should be putting your duty to your lord, to your clan, to your family, and so on, ahead of what you personally want. Uh, and of course, we're you know supposed to generate all kinds of drama out of that tension in our games and our stories uh, for L5R. So that comes up some as well. I can definitely see how that fit in. And we will definitely talk about that in terms of the kinds of stories that you can tell using Yumito. So I, th- I thought uh, Night Parade of 100 Demons was so perfect as an exploration for kinds of stories you could tell with Chukzudo. And here this continues with kinds of stories you can tell with Yumito. Um, will we see future adventures for Ryotora and Sekan, do you think? Can you say? <laughs> yes, um, I- I, I'm actually soon to be turning into my editor uh, the first draft of The Market of a Hundred Fortunes, um, which you can tell I'm, I'm continuing the title pattern. Uh, that is almost certainly like I, I intend for that to be the last book of the series. I, I'm not going to continue after that. But that one, um, longtime fans of L5R may know that in previous editions, there was a location in Brittle Flower City or Captured City called the Bazaar of 100 Fortunes. I, I got permission to change the name of it to market just because that is so far away from foreign influence that using a Persian derived word seemed really weird to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's now the the market of a hundred fortunes. Um, if it was in unicorn lands, sure, call it a bazaar. Like, go yeah, for yeah. it. Uh, um, but yeah, so I, I drag uh, Diotora and Sekan out of both of their familiar terrain and and down into Crane Lands. Yeah, I think that would be the obvious next step. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've got to say, when it comes to like, call it, do we call it a bazaar or do we call it a, a market? Like, we're all translating from the original Rokugani anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh. And I. I I had the word for what that is in Japanese and now I've forgotten it, but there is a word for like a walled market district that is, uh, you know, essentially where they're going. That That's something for us to look forward to then. We'll have to talk more about that when we get there. Yeah. I, and, and I do wonder which realm they're going to suddenly randomly be visiting. <laughs> we'll find out. Um... <laughs> However, we do definitely visit Yumido in this, and I think it's fair to say that as a as a spoiler or stuff, I think it's on the back cover, so uh, <laughs> that's why I felt it was fairly safe. Um, <laughs> Game of a Hundred Candles has a fair bit to do, or at least touches on the Moth Clan, 
and Yumido. And and that link between the Moth Clan and Yumido is kind of our first um, point of interaction between the two that we encounter in our uh, standard L5R cosmology. Most of the clans don't have a bunch to do with dream, the realm of dream. Mm. Um, and that's what Yumido is, the realm of dream. I was wondering, Moth Clan is not spelled out in the source books. Uh, where did you go to for your research on any of that? Uh, Katrina. <laughs> like, yeah, straight up, I, I just emailed Katrina Ostrander um, to say, because uh, I, I know that there was a reference somewhere to the Moth Clan having like dreamwalkers, people who deal with Yumeido. And so, yes, I, I just emailed her and said, OK, what should I know? Uh, and mm. she gave me what had been set up so far for the clan. Um, I don't remember or rather she didn't even really tell me what sources that stuff was being drawn from. So I don't know what's published so far. Uh, there was one thing she sent me that she's like, here's a detail to know about them. Don't put that in the novel. Like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you could have just not told me. Um, but honestly, like what she sent me was just kind of to kind of shape my thinking a little bit because almost nothing of what she sent except for one detail about the Moth Clan having like sort of holdings of a sort in Yumeido that I think is basically the only detail she sent me that I mentioned in the novel. Um, the stuff about when they meet Kaikoga Hanemi and she's got a uh, like a blindfold or an eye patch over one of her eyes, that was a detail I added because mm. I know it crops up sometimes in Japanese folklore, the idea that like, you know, being missing an eye, having only one eye is kind of like a trope for you've got supernatural mm. powers, you've got second mm. sight, whatever. So it seemed to me like that was a neat thing to mark the Dreamwalkers. Uh, she doesn't actually like she's not missing the eye because Rokugan is not super cool with stuff that sounds like blood magic. <laughs> so, you know, I gouged out my eye for my powers is not kosher in this setting uh yeah. but they kind of they symbolically sacrifice it by blindfolding one of those eyes um and just not using it uh, so like that was a detail that i made up i mostly what i got sent about the moth clan was just okay now i have the shape of them in my head and i will proceed to make things up for people who are interested in adding the moth clan in addition to reading your book, uh, Robert Denton has a Halloween story called Moth Follows Her Light um, that has uh, a lot about Dream in Yumido and um, the Moth Clan in it. So we're going to talk about Yumido. I'm going to, in general, we'll, we'll talk about things that I've gotten from the L5R source books and some of it I've got from Robert's story, A Moth Follows Her Light. And uh, some of it from a game of 100 Candles. Uh, and I was hoping we could just kind of, I've got a list of facts and stuff that we're going to try and get across. But please chime in, Marie, like if you have thoughts on any of this, uh, uh, you know, I might go and ask what you think about this thing or that thing so that we can like have a discussion about it. But uh, that that was my goal for, for what we what we do about Yumido. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah. So yeah, Yumido, the the realm of dreams, um, it's a setting, it's a place that can be visited in the game in Lose of the Five Rings. And it can play with different versions of a character's memories and hopes and dare I say it, dreams. So it can be very personal for an individual and 
if you can enter someone else's dreams, you can discover uh, interesting secrets, which they might not um, consciously be aware of or reveal in the waking world. That is exactly why I find this kind of thing interesting. Like it's, I, I love the whole dream realm idea. Um, I, I actually feel a little bit guilty that I'm like, okay, so we also did a dream realm thing in the Rick and Rose books, my collaborator and I, only there we have people who can't sleep instead of people who can't wake up. <laughs> so I felt a bit like I was you know, copycatting myself. But I, I love the dream realm stuff precisely because it gives you that glimpse inside and that really personal angle, and especially in games, even more than in novels. I think the value of it is that, you know, a novel can give you through the narration, through the character's thoughts, what's going on inside them. But in a game, you don't really have that. Like you can get players trying to describe their inner state, but that's still a thing that's inside their head. Whereas with a dream realm, you can take whatever their dreams are, whatever their nightmares are, and externalize it, which means it becomes something that other characters can interact with. And that's why I think this kind of thing is fantastic for games. Yes, it makes it makes a really good kicking off point for extremely personal uh, role playing game sessions. Uh, thematically, uh, it is often uh, L5R in general is often a, kind of a you know we play at this balance you've kind of referred to earlier about uh, you know the duty of a samurai versus their personal desires uh, and in our subconscious in our dreams. Um, that's where we process the conflicts of our con our waking life. You know, on some level, that's that's part of our our dreaming. We kind of deal with the paradoxes of our lives. Um, so when you're playing it out in L five R, the dream ends up being kind of a, a, a reconciliation or a kind of working out between what is the life of a samurai, where it's duty service, and then the innate nature of humanity in, in L5R and the sins, which in L5R are fear, desire, and regret. And so when honor doesn't allow you to do something, then Yumido might be the only freedom that a samurai has. And uh, it ends up drawing that samurai from a reality that could be very painful because it doesn't allow them to be themselves and into the dream where they can be what they what they are or what they want to be. Yeah, I actually made up a philosopher for the novel who talked about exactly that, um, like the chance to kind of work these things out in dreams and, and sort of use it as like a release valve. Uh, but even there, like there are some perils in that the guy got more and more involved in his dreams and kind of may have eventually just sort of gone into them and not come out again. So... You know, it's not like that is a, a simple solution to that tension to just say, oh, well, you can, you know, vent it all in dreams and then be fine in your waking life. Uh, you do also get dreams being used by supernatural creatures, say Yorkai or Shadowlands creatures, sending temptations in dreams yeah, or doing things in dreams to kind of tempt their prey or haunt their prey. This may not be necessarily happening in Yumeido as such, depending so that they could be like you know corrupting the dreams uh more directly in in a time when the the dreamer is more you know vulnerable like when you're asleep you're not going to you're not able to necessarily defend yourself against right. someone trying to send temptations or illusions or something but if you're in a dreaming state you could you could 
uh, affect you in your dreams and thus affect you may do indirectly. But I'm sure there are actually creatures in there which you'll get to. So, yeah, the once a dreamer becomes corrupt, then their dreams can be corrupted, which then turns their dreams back upon themselves, kind of drawing them deeper and deeper into, you know, that that kind of corrupting cycle. So that's a... Yeah. Now, I'll say that from a, a game perspective... I feel like that can be different, difficult rather, to play out effectively because, you know, you're, you need the player to buy into the idea that when their character is asleep and dreaming, that they're not necessarily going to have all of their self-control and their awareness of, oh, no, this is actually a problem and I shouldn't do it. And then if they give into something in dreams to play with the idea that that is then carrying over to their waking life somehow, I feel like that's the kind of story where you've got to get the player buying in to the idea that they're going to have this arc of falling prey to that desire, that temptation, that influence, uh, rather than digging their heels in. Because it's always thorny in games when you're trying to do some kind of mental influence on a PC. Um, you know, that's always something that you've got to negotiate a bit with the player. And I think that's especially true when you're talking about this dream stuff, because you're basically saying, like, you should give into this thing that, you know, as a player is going to be bad. And I'm suggesting that you shouldn't have your usual defenses against it. I play with the kind of people who would be like, bring it on. I am so ready for this. <laughs> but not everybody would be. I mean, yeah, I think I think. I think playing in the dream world at all has to have some buy-in because you are basically saying, um, I, want, I want you to expose, you know, your character's absolute innermost dreams, you know, innermost self. And for a, a lot of people, that's very personal. And it's not, I mean, you know, it, it, it's fine if you're, because some people, when they play a character, it's much more like a writer and a character. There isn't a direct connection. I'm interested in seeing what this character does. I'm interested in seeing this character fall over and, you know, spontaneously combust and it all go horribly wrong and that's going to be brilliant drama. But some people, it is more like a very good friend or even an extension of themselves. And I think you do need to be cautious saying, okay, now we're just going to throw that open and now everybody can rummage around in your, you know, your deepest thoughts. You know, like it's, it's a conversation and you want to get buy-in is what I'm saying. The yeah. other thing, because this is a fantasy realm and, there is a real place called the realm of dreams that you could potentially get through through a number of ways, uh, but either physically or generally not physically. We'll talk about that too. It doesn't have to be a PC's dreams that are being corrupted by tainted yokai. So you could be having your characters interacting with, say, the daughter of the crab daimyo, who is now being like bothered by tainted dreams and now you have to try and figure out how to unroot uproot the evil inside their dream space so you know it doesn't have to be personal it can be somebody else's dreams as well and yes absolutely and absolutely yeah that that can help both the people who maybe don't want to like do something that personal and frankly the kind of player who goes okay so you know the gm says <laughs> What is your character's deepest right. desire? And they kind of stare at you going, I don't know. Like, not everybody <laughs> has 
those yeah. layers that they're really eager to like you know explore something some of them they're like no my character is exactly who they seem to be <laughs> you know yeah, and so absolutely. They, they don't have exciting answers to those questions and so yeah in, in both cases having it be an npc who's being explored um mm. that means the gm can then come up with something right. cool and both types of players are, are kind of off the hook <laughs> yes and and it's a way of exploring an npc in a way that you cannot do right almost in any other way and that's what yeah. I meant about the externalizing, yeah, right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, it yeah. takes that inner life and it puts it out in the world where it becomes an interactable object, basically, rather than some, mm. you know, hidden thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you can do with Yumido, which is really interesting because this is not, this is much more uh, abstract or separated from an individual current person's dreams, is Yumido is a magical realm. You know, in in L five R it is, uh, which implies that areas in Yumido that had really strong dreams, all right, uh, were related to or to the, related to the dreams of many people together, could potentially continue to exist and sustain after the dreamer dreamers of all of those dreams have died. So you have this corner of Yumido can still be going on and existing, but the dreamers who created it are all gone now. This allows you to do time travel in your campaigns, to be frank. Mm. Yes. Time travel, alternate realities could be there. <laughs> it used to be in the AEG days um, because, you know, you have you have the the whole old timeline of the, the second day of thunder, which the good guys won, hurrah. But mm -hmm. people were, but what if, what if, what if yeah. it's the thousand years like, of darkness, the thousand yeah. years of darkness. And it's pretty much established that the thousand years of darkness is a place you can go and visit. Although I wouldn't recommend it. It's zero, <laughs> zero stars on yellow. Why would you want to? Why would you want to? Uh, you know, you could go visit the thousand years of darkness and find out what happened and what it would be like. And in fact, in the AEG times, someone from the Thousand Year of Darkness managed to get into the main timeline. Yeah, I actually did a thing when I ran my own L5R campaign that used the Togashi Dynasty AU that I'd invented. Um, at one point, I and, and the metaphysical justification for this was Yumeido, the characters accidentally wound up in an alternate universe where the emperors were the Hante instead. Oh, so what? I sent them to normal canon as a weird dream realm. And they're all shocked Which and called. And so, so this, the other thing I can do is uh, you can pop back and, to Battle of the White Stag or Dawn of the Empire, Empire or uh, any any kind of uh, event. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will say when you do something like that, um, you know, narratively speaking, you, you kind of have to consider, is it just that you want a chance for the characters to run around and experience this and that's sufficient? Uh, because if it is a dream, memory, echo, whatever of things, then... You know, what difference does it make if, like, they save the Empress's life at the Battle of White Stag? Um, you know, because they haven't actually, like, changed history, which is probably for the best. Mm. Uh, but it means that there can be this feeling of we did a cool thing, but it, it's not real even within the fiction of the game. Uh, yes. Yeah, I recognize the game as a whole is already not real, but, like, there's that extra. I, I personally hate when I see a movie or a TV show or something where, you know, oh, these amazing events happen, and then at the end they go, psych, it was all a dream. 
Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I hate having the rug pulled out from me un- out from under me like that. But it's the reason I hate it is because like the the story was getting me emotionally invested and then revealed that effectively I bought a narrative junk bond. Like my investment is fake. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a game, I, you know, the characters, if they end up at the Battle of White Stag, I think they're going to know <laughs> that they are. You can use it dream. to find a piece of information that has been lost to history. Exactly. Example. Yes. Uh, you, I agree. you were there yeah. and you learned something during that time. Right. Uh, in our. Yes. And then you bring that forward. Which I would love. Yeah. That kind of thing's great. And you can possibly, if, if it's possible, because like I say, in the old lore, there's literally a whole human being who managed to get from a dream world yeah, maybe to they bring the real world. With them. Bring somebody with them or they bring, they, they get, you know, like an, uh, you know, an object, you know, an artifact. And so, okay, they may not have changed the actual history, but they still, you know, it still happened. Yes. And they have, yeah. they have this, this concrete thing. Right. And I think yeah. that's the difference between you've made a trip into Yumedo versus a TV like, oh, that entire episode was just a dream, that the trip into Yumedo was real for the characters. Yes. Yeah, that's a real thing. You know, even yeah. if it was in this strange spirit realm. And so, yes, the, the possibility that what they do there can then have effects, real effects, that they have information or an item or something. Um, that's that's kind of the option you have in this type of story that you don't in a more conventional, like, non-fantasy TV dream episode yeah i have i have to say i do have a campaign that i'm never going to run for various reasons uh but like I, it's literally because i've gotten you know the old ag supplements um which includes your Takashi dynasty the imperial histories and imperial histories 2 mm-hmm. which are a whole bunch of different time periods you know here's how you could play different official actual time periods that actually happened and here's some that didn't happen. And here's one that might happen, a couple actually that might happen in the future, but might not. I, I, I thought, you know, okay, yeah, if I, if I, I've got these two things, but I'm never going to use more than one of them, surely. But I thought, but no, if you use Yumedo, you can go to all of them. Yeah. Well, that just made me think. Um, th- this is basically the – I'm recycling the concept for the very first role-playing game I ever ran, which was uh, Changeling the Dreaming Game. Um, you know, in Rokugan, people reincarnate. Oh, yeah. But they're supposed to have their memories of their previous lives washed away. But what if through Yumeido, they could see their previous lives, like fragments and echoes of their past incarnations, which are somehow relevant to what they're doing in the present day? That is essentially my first campaign, except that it was characters flashing back to their previous mm. lives. <laughs> We kind of did that. We did something like that in a campaign that we ran here. Uh, it was a uh, not quite thousand years of darkness, but it was a fallen empire. The the emperor has been taken over by evil, and your PCs are like little last, you know, scattered, desperate holdouts, right? But they ended up about halfway through the game being trapped in a, a high end court dream. You know, and so they got to experience like the high refined formal winter court experience that they would never be able to get because that doesn't exist in the world as it was. And then they could take their their own transformation because, I mean, these were pretty scrappily guys at this point. Uh, they were they were able to take that with them into the future and see, oh, OK, there is beauty and hope and and 
so on in the world, we have something we can create out of this just based on the vision. So they didn't bring a thing forward. They brought um, a, a transformation within themselves forward out of this, out of the dream. You, you can tell I love dream ropes because this is giving me all kinds of ideas. <laughs> the, <laughs> the latest one is, you know, if your PCs are the sorts of people who would never be invited to Imperial Winter Court, they are nobodies. They are not important enough people. Um, but they all have this collective dream in which they are at Imperial Winter Court and they carry out all of the stuff and then they wake up. And then reports start coming of like the people that they talk to in that dream have suddenly changed their positions on certain political things <laughs> or whatever that effectively they influence those people through their dreams. And, and there was the, there were these mystery people that people were talking about at court, but no one seems to know who they were. And well, yeah, they they either were present at court or it's just everybody was dreaming. And it's like, yeah, I dreamt about those people too. Weird. <laughs> Pieces could get in trouble for that. This you know officials show up being like, what did you? do what they're like we didn't mean to <laughs> so that gets a lot of ideas for kinds of campaigns that you could be could be running and maybe we'll we'll come up with some, yeah, yeah, some yeah, more yeah, adventure hooks or, or things like that at the end but but we can yeah. cruise along and like um talk about what what is it like to be in yumido because there's uh there's a couple of spaces in yumido we kind of think about for starters, I, I would say I think that the way we depict this kind of thing and very justifiably often doesn't look very much at all like normal real world dreams. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because when you think about it, your normal real world dreams, many of them fall into either the bucket of completely banal. It's I'm back in high school and I have forgotten to go to my math class all year long and now it's the final. Like, you know, that's not the stuff of grand drama. And then when, when you actually think about the dream, it's like, Although it was back in my high school, that was not my high school. Right. It was way larger than my high school is. Or, and it wasn't even, it wasn't the same at all. Yet somehow in the dream, it was my high school. Yes. And that's the other bucket that things fall into where it like seems really compelling and cool while you're dreaming it. Then you wake up and look at what you dreamt and go, that makes no sense and isn't actually nearly as interesting as it felt at the time. So we tend to uh, we tend to make the dreams more coherent and interesting and plot relevant than, you know, real dreams. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, they, they all make sense in, in a yeah. way that dreams don't. Or when they're surreal, they're surreal in a meaningful way. <laughs> yes, you, you don't just have, and then suddenly, okay, no, no, I need to explain that at this point, suddenly we're in a volcano, and then... <laughs> and my brother's a fish for some reason. <laughs> yes. but that's not, it, it just happened, but never mind. All right. Well, what we have from what we have from celestial realms is we have, there's this concept of my eye, my eye, my eye which is the area of space within Yumido that one individual dreamer controls, okay? So that's the area around one dreamer, and they have full control over everything. Within that dream, it can be as realistic to normal life or historical events or whatever as the, as the GM wishes. So that's kind of what you've talked about. It'd be more practical. If it's realistic, and even if it's somewhat not realistic, it's very difficult for you to know that you really are in a dream because you're working on dreamland, especially if it's your own dream, <laughs> because you're dreaming. Um, so if, uh, you know, at this point, you kind of often you would use a, a meditation void check or something like that to have 
especially someone dreaming, realize that this is a dream because it's not obvious. It sounds really great for a GM who's really bad at continuity. I can just say, <laughs> oh, it's because you're dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of an individual dream, most stories depict uh, Yumido, who, the references we've had to it, which haven't been a lot, as kind of this like endless featureless plane filled with white mist under gray sky. So it's just white, cloudy, in-between part, except it then dissolves into individual dreams as you pass through them. Yeah, so so if you're not in someone's dream, you're kind of not anywhere, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very common. That does. Yeah, and, and lots of cloudy-type imagery as well, like with the mist and stuff, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that your appearance within the dream will not, you won't look like you, all right? You will generally be looked like the way the dreamer sees you how, how they how they treat you how they interact with you whoever the dreamer might be um so these your appearance will be flavored at least in the celestial realms because it sets it up by one of the three sins because everybody sees people associated with kind of the three three sins around about them either reflecting fear you're you're terrifying or you're more scary than you are Desire, you're more beautiful, you're more perfect, you know, than you are. Or regret, which is you you are somehow uh, expressing through your physicality their their regrets towards you or, you know, the ways that they did not, you know, fulfill what yeah. they wanted. That's the hardest one to do. Yes. And it's it's not even it's not necessarily like they fear you, they desire you. It could be they fear something that you represent or they desire a thing that you, in the dream, that they see you as having. So, it, it's, a, it, it's a very flexible thing because when you say they're, they're flavored by fear, is it, yeah, there, there are many types of ways that could go of, you know, they look like what you fear, you look like what they fear, you just see their fearful version of themselves, like there's, there's a lot of flexibility. And that's, I think, a key thing if you're trying to do something with Yumeido is be flexible. Like, this is all very mutable. This is all very uh, individualized and, and personalized. It can be whatever suits the story that you want to be telling here. Like, don't worry too much about, is this correct according to the book? You know mm. what? Maybe somewhere else in you may know that's how things work, but where you are, it works the way you want it to. Yeah. Right. And and if you want something, if you want something like an example of how flavored towards regret is, fear and desire is somewhat easier. Flavored towards regret may be, you look, you know, if they regret that they haven't advanced to a better position in, in the world, for example, then everybody around them, including you, are going to look haughty and wealthy and, you know, powerful and stuff. And they are going to look like a little shriveled bean of a person. Or, or, or you, one individual could represent, could or could be really lowly. And clearly, this, this, this is like their fear of what they think they, they could end up as. And they see that in front of them. And so one, so some people are really obviously, you know, up in the clouds and are doing really well. And here's this other person. It's like, oh no, I hope that's not what I'm going to end up like. 
you know, I, I feel that I have. And it can be all sorts of like symbolic and representative stuff like that. Like, yeah, if they if they regret basically not having tried to pursue that person that they were in love with and they just sort of let that go, then, you know, maybe they're like in mourning clothes as if that person had died or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe she looks or maybe that person looks like they died. Yes. Maybe you look yeah. like a corpse. And, yeah. and, and maybe maybe you even just look like that person and it takes you a while to work it out. Because mm-hmm. you know you're you're their friend or whatever, and but they're seeing you as uh, literally as a different person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's there's a, there's a lot of fun stuff. I think it's also if you've got the kind of players who are happy to take a bit of narrative control. Yes. You know you can you can you can say okay you know and, and then you know one if you're in you know player character A's kind of dream and player character B comes up you say to character A what what does your character really kind of fear and how does this new character has character P's appearance. How does that reflect that? And they yeah. get to have that some control like they would in their dreams. Yeah. <laughs> and then that actually with the, you know, some bit of control um, that gets into the sort of lucid dreaming question of the people who are aware that they're dreaming. And, you know, this is a real world thing. I, I know people who they'll be asleep. They have a nightmare. They realize while they're asleep, wait, this is a nightmare. And then with that realization, they're able to effectively rewrite what their brain is giving them. Uh, so, yeah, that is a real world skill, just not necessarily in a metaphysical here off in a spirit realm kind of way. So I was hoping that, uh, Kovar, you could start talking about some of the creatures that we might find in Yumido. You know, the realm of you know, animals, you know, Sakaku and Chikushodo, um, the realm of slaughter and, and so on. There are denizens of Yumido that you can meet. And you find Yume no Seire, which is a Baku, getting to Baku in general, but it looks like an emaciated old man who brings nightmares. He probably don't want to meet. That doesn't sound good. Yes, he's 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 a scary one. <laughs> so, another scary uh, creature of Yumido that uh, pops up in folklore quite a lot is a uh, Makuragaishi, which is called a pillow shifter, and it is considered it was considered incredibly creepy to have the idea of a spirit that comes along and moves your pillow when you sleep. So Love. you're sleeping and moves your pillow under you. And, and, and the this yokai is, out there. <laughs> yes. they're, they're this particular one has a big problem. You know, if your pillow moves under you, your pillow is considered your anchor. Mm, to the, these are the wooden headrest type of pillows, I should point out. Yeah, not, yeah. not, yeah. The, not, not right. the fluffy ones right. that we're used to. <laughs> so if your pillow moves... You might not be able to return to your body because you're no longer attached to your anchor that attaches you to the earth. Yeah. And I've got to say, you said pillow shifter doesn't sound terribly frightening until you kind of, oh, well, actually, that, that can be <laughs> kind of bad. Um, in general, there, there are creatures also called baku. They're kind of really interesting. They're kind of elephantish. They've got elephantish trunks and all sorts of. One of those various kind of made up of various bits of other animals type of creatures. That's a very common description of them. Um, they are mostly benevolent spirits that eat bad dreams. I always like them. They they look weird, but they, they, <laughs> I think they're kind of I think they're cool. The other people you can encounter in Yumido are uh, Nizumi transcendents. Uh, Nizumi, the the ratlings, um, when they die or when their their highest people die their highest ancestors their ancestors go on to inhabit yumido rather than any of the other celestial realms so 
you can find them acting as tour guides or, or sages or otherwise knowledgeable entities about the particulars of this this realm, which is cool. You can find out. They'll they'll at least talk to you in the way that you know Nizumi do. All right. So that leaves us with Yep, how to get to Yumedo. Um, there's a pretty obvious way, which is to fall asleep. Sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's easiest as a realm to get to. Mm. Um, not everyone remembers their dreams. I think most people, a lot of people say they don't dream. I think that generally means they don't remember their dreams. Yeah, I, I am terrible at remembering my dreams. I'm sure I have some because you kind of go insane if you don't have <laughs> dreams, but... Um. I yeah I I have an odd thing where I rarely remember them unless I wake up in the middle of them. That's that's kind of the only time I remember. Yeah, the only ones I remember are my most horrific nightmares, or at least I assume they're the most horrific. There might be worse ones I don't recall. Yes, let's hope these are the ones I remember are pretty bad. Mm. I remember. I can't say I remember them every night, and I but I'll often remember them, and then I tell them to my husband, and he uses them for game ideas, Um, because. (laughs) <laughs> anyway um however you were talking earlier maria about lucid dreaming so while you being asleep doesn't do much or anything really that you can interact with once you get past that level to lucid dreaming uh then you actually are able to interact with uh, well i would say Nido. you you can still be interacting with stuff uh even if your character is not aware that they are dreaming and in control of that dream uh yeah. like i've actually got a little bit of that in the novel where second is in a dream for a while before he goes wait a minute i know what's going on <laughs> um but it does mean that the way you interact is going to be different. And that gets back to that player buy-in, that they have to go along with it in a, no, this seems totally normal and fine. I have no idea anything weird is happening. And and lucid dreaming, as I understand it, uh, doesn't just allow you to change how you react. You can start to have, well, like a in a game sense, narrative control. You can start to say, right. well, actually, I don't feel like being in this high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm going to walk through this door and be somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, and and decide where that is, as opposed to you know the usual thing of oh and oh and by the way, suddenly we we were in a volcano, but that's fine, you know. <laughs> but you you have control over it, which is a, yeah, and and you can decide what you can do. So like you can decide I'm going to go flying because I feel like it. Whereas whereas if you're not lucid dreaming, you might start flying, but you don't really have a choice. So that's that's I, I think that's the difference with lucid dreaming. You kind of yeah have control over not just you, but the whole thing of the dream. And that is a key thing for a, yeah, for a GM running this, like you, you need to be ready to embrace that. If you're the sort of GM who doesn't like sort of players have narrative control of things, mechanics, then you might not find this very fun. Yeah. Uh, If if you're me and you love that sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Now how you get your character to lucid dreaming, of course, is, is, uh, you know, and mechanically speaking, we talked earlier about potentially this being a meditation void check that you could be uh, able to roll within. within there might scenario. be a ritual, which is a ritual of how you go to sleep. You can have you know characters who that's their natural talent. Maybe maybe you have a certain. You could have. I could see, especially in fifth edition, people who have an advantage. Um, lucid dreamer or you know vivid dreamer yeah and then yeah. they get lucid dreaming just by default and then they can do certain kinds of re-rolls maybe on premonition or something so you know 
because they dreamed that this would happen. Um, it can even be something where like there are multiple levels of that because you could have the the degree of you are at least aware when you're dreaming uh, leveled up like you can begin to shape your own dreams leveled up more. You can shape other people's dreams, you know, just to give it degrees of skill rather than it being an on off right. button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you've got the lucid dreaming kind of talent, the distinction, then that gives you yeah. role. So, so yeah. having it as an advantage or a disadvantage, ongoing nightmares, <laughs> you know, they, mm. you know, dreaming can, <laughs> dreaming can yeah. go into, you know, advantages or disadvantages to your characters. Um, for certain groups like the Moth or Nazumi, almost everybody in the, associated with those is, is trained into at least you know some kind of lucid dreaming understanding because that's just yeah what they do and and if if you're doing a one-off if you're not doing a this campaign is going to be dealing with dreams a lot then because because if they're not going to be de- dealing with dreams you don't re- being a lucid dreamer probably doesn't help you but for right. that one-off thing you know we this is our normal campaign but this yeah. this little story is going to be based around dreams yeah then you can have the npc who's the moth clan shigenja or the mm-hmm. nazumi dreamer who can then put them in the situation you want them to be in whether yeah they are they are going to someone else's dream in a kind of inception type way or whether they're exploring mm-hmm. their own dreams that they're the, they're the the kind of key to get them there and even if it's something where like it's just a the, the one-off bit um if you don't want to bring in a moth and you don't want to bring in an Izumi, I I think it's entirely fair to just have it be like roll a particular ring or something like that. Just, you know, basically let all of the PCs interact with the dream and succeed or fail based on their roles rather than ha- having some sort of like you need this justification for it, you know, because maybe they just uh, are alert enough to figure it out. You know, you don't have to require anything of them. But it could also if if you want to do it this way, it could also be a thing you now need to go and get. Right. So depending on what you want to do, like if do you do you want to have a little side quest where they go and get the thing that lets them do it? Or right. do you just want to get straight into the meat of it? In which case, oh no, no, you just roll this meditation check and on you go. Uh, that's yeah. going to depend very so those options. It's a little different if you're tr- yeah, getting to your own dreams and working with your own dreams and then getting to somebody else's dreams because we don't normally dream into somebody else's dreams and that is what takes the push right if you're if you're dealing with exploring your own dreams or something that like a dream that has settled over an area and it's still your your sleep that's that's going to sleep but if you want to as pcs intentionally get into let's say the he did daimyo's daughter's dreams to deal with whatever um then uh then you need other ways to get in so that's where you need to start thinking okay how how do i get into their dreams and you need uh something something more of a of a push um like a moth clan shigenja often you know even if it if they've never come out with the stats for them or their school abilities or anything but you know, I would say that they would be able to get you there one way or another. And that's, you know, that's what you have NPCs for. If it's, if it's a one-off, you don't even need to come up with proper game mechanics. You know, it's a thing they can do. Yeah. There you go. Done. Yeah. And Nizumi's, Nizumi dreamers should be able to do something like that. We've talked about them. Mm-hmm. A to created ritual of some sort. No mechanics, but you know, if you've got enough juice and, you know, 
Kami and everything else, you know, and powerful NPC Shigenjas, they should be able to figure out something that can, that can do it. Uh, so those are some ways that you might choose to be able to go there. Alternatively, something might drag you in whether you want it to be or not. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in, including those first three. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, yes, those first three. Yeah. <laughs> you have attracted the interest yes. of an Izumi. Oh, no. <laughs> but it could be a decidedly less friendly. So we did talk about monsters. So we talked about creatures of Yumido pulling you in for potentially good reasons or potentially bad reasons, or even just mess with you reasons. So that's kind of Chuxudo's um, area of forte. Yeah, like pull you in for why not reasons. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of supernatural poisons as well. So that can do that. So so somebody is deploying a, a poison that does this because the effect would be put somebody to sleep, they don't wake up, which is a great thing for a poison to do. <laughs> it could, like, they could do it deliberately. Like, we know that this sends them into the realm of dreams and they can't get out, and that's what we want. But it could also be, hey, we found this stuff. It makes people go to sleep forever. It's fantastic. It's really useful. And then only afterwards do people point out, that you're sending them into the world of dreams, and that's mucking everything up. Please stop. <laughs> And it can even be, uh, rather than just like a one dose, you poison the person and they're gone, you could do a long-term poisoning over time where it's something that maybe the person, is, it could be more like a drug, that the person is taking this because, oh, it makes their dreams so wonderful, but over time, they're spending more and more time asleep and then eventually they don't wake yes. up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that can, that can lead to all sorts of awesome problems. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this sounds like a great thing to stick in a, stick in a scorpion's campaign where they, they you wouldn't think it was going to go to Yumido. You didn't think that that was going to be, but that's where it ends up because poisons and drugs, you know. Oops. Yeah, the, the scorpion going, look, look, we're all for, for poisons and addictive substances, but you're using the wrong ones. Stop it immediately. And these are bad ones. And then there's always artifacts. So uh, one that they've used is the candle of the Moth Clan. That's that's one. But you could have obscure artifacts or, you know, from before the empire or from foreign lands. Or it could be a pillow. It could be a pillow. <laughs> it, could be, it could be anything. It could be an awakened pillow. Yeah. yeah. It's just trying to help. It wants you to have interesting dreams. <laughs> Or a pillow book, even. A pillow book, yeah. yes. There is a, um artifact from old L5R where the headmaster of the Kikita Academy, way back in one of the earliest centuries, uh, went out to confront an attacking crab army that was going to destroy the Academy. And they don't know what she did, but... When people got back, the crab army was gone, the headmaster was gone, and there was a book. And that was it. And it had the stories of the great battle and then all the, uh, you know, everything that resulted from it was all, all in this book. And that would be a, a Yubido artifact. He's, she's the, the master of the Kiki Academy just managed to create such a powerful vision or something that they pulled the whole crab army into their vision. And that would be kind of Yumido. It's kind of cool. I just thought that a, a pillow book where a pillow book of dreams, where if you put it in your pillow, in your wooden headrest, um, can take you into dreams 
mm-hmm. um, might take you into the dreams of other people because people who dream with that in their in their pillow, the dreams start to get written down. And if you stay too long, you can get stuck there. And but maybe someone can use that to get into your dream and get you back out. But that also runs the risk of getting stuck. That could be a fun one. Or people could be using such an artifact to spy on very important people and find their secrets. Because we talked about how dreams can reveal all of this stuff. And then that is like, how are they learning this secret knowledge that is... See, dream realms are fun. You could do cool things with them. <laughs> yeah, so I think we, we, we've... We've slightly skipped ahead with the time traveling abilities of the realm of dreams to our plot. You can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, we've done. We've talked about all of them. I think we've came up with plenty of plot hooks. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully, somehow scattered through here things for people to people to think of and and incorporate and uh, you know have something to bring into their campaigns. And thank you very much, Marie, for talking with us about them because. makes it much more exciting i I told you i love this kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) excellent it certainly came across in in the book which um is really really good (laughs) and people should go read it yes people should go read it yeah and get more ideas Mm. and in general uh where can we find you on social media and what shall we look out for? You talked about the Yeah, um, I, I'm on Twitter at swan underscore tower. Uh, there's also an M.A. Carrick account that is M.A. underscore Carrick. Um, I am partially set up on Mastodon, but I need to actually like get up and rolling there. So for the, the moment, Twitter is the place to find me. I'm also on Patreon, uh, swan underscore tower, if anyone wants to take a look at my work there. Um, but yeah. Lovely. Um, so I think everyone should go and check out those various places find more about marie brennan's work lots of good stuff all right well thank you so much again for coming that's about it for us this week i want to give a shout out to fortune and strife which is our affiliated actual played podcast uh we are approaching very quickly the end of season two so i'm excited about that we've got some big big things coming up to wrap up that season um, and also we want to thank our friends at D20 Radio. This content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports us for our editing costs, our website where you can see and store longer term information, get summaries of the podcast and a lot of RPG tools and more. Uh, for our patrons, we like to have some special bonus content like Adventure Seeds. Uh, we don't have a lot right now, but we try. <laughs> There's early access to our AP podcast and other things as we think of them or you request them. Online, you can find us at courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, you can find us at twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And if you want to support what we do, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that is it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korvar. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy.